Amen. Well, as we uh, continue our series today, week two of Summer Road Trip, uh, let me just first of all thank Caleb Warren. Last week, he did a phenomenal job teaching God's Word and helping us understand the place of Jerusalem and why it's so important. In fact, I wrote down two key things from last week that I just want to rehash with you. He, he said this statement. He said, our title and our talent will never be as important as the presence of God is in our lives. And just that understanding that no matter what people call you, no matter what your title is, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, reverend, whatever, that's not the most important thing about your life. The most important thing about your life is the presence of God going with you. And then the second thing that he said I thought was so profound is God wants us to take his presence to our Jerusalem. He wants us to take his presence to our Jerusalem. And we know the story he talked about last week with King David and how David was uh, basically sold out to God even before he was ever king because he understood, you know, that it's about taking the presence of God back to Jerusalem. And so that was pretty profound. But, you know, as I thought about this series, every place that God brings us to is really not about the location. It's more about the principle or the principles that God wants to teach us there. For instance, some of you in this room have been to places in your life and you wondered, why am I here? Why do I have this job? Why am I in this school? What, all these pine coves, why am I at South Crest Church today? You're not here because of location. You're here today because God wants to teach you something and he wants to show you something and he wants to grow you. So today I get to preach on one of those places in the Bible that when you read it, you go, what did he just say? And uh, it's called, the place is called Shechem. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, Shechem. All right? Some of you go, I just got cussed at in church. Um, No, that is not a cuss word, okay? However, it is a good replacement word if you stub your toe in the middle of the night or you run out of gas on 85. You can get out and call your spouse and go, oh, Shechem. All right? And and your wife will go, don't speak like that in front of the kids. And you go, honey, I'm just trying to be biblical. Trying to be biblical with you, babe. Don't you understand? I'm a man of God here, okay? It's man day. But I do want to say this. We're going to talk about the place of Shechem that is found in the Bible. And if you have a pencil, you all want to take some notes. It was north of Jerusalem. In fact, it was northeast of Jerusalem from what we talked about last week. It was the birthplace of Joseph, or not the birthplace, the burial place of Joseph. If you know in the Bible, the guy, you know, who got in conflict with his brothers over his coat of many colors and sold in slavery, okay? It was where he wanted his bones buried. So when he died, he could have chosen anywhere he wanted to be buried and have his bones buried. And he said, I want you to bury my bones at Shechem, which we'll talk about more in just a minute. It was a city of refuge. Shechem was one of those places that... If you had done something to somebody else or something had happened to you and you were kind of outcast from your people, you could run to this city and you could find refuge in this city. Uh, Jacob built an altar there in Genesis 33. We see that he built an altar there and he worshiped and he sacrificed there before the Lord. Genesis 34, it's also a place of great uh, sadness because it was the city where Jacob's own daughter Dinah was raped and she was shamed. And so you look at that, and what's crazy is the guy who raped her was named Shechem. And you go, okay, well then why is this such a big place to God? Because the last place, the place that it's most famous for is found in Genesis 12. It's the place God promised Abraham he would possess a land. And in Genesis 12, there was this relationship that began with God and with man that was very unique. In fact, as you look at Joshua 24, go ahead and turn over there real quick. 
It was at that place in Genesis 12 that that relationship began. And today in Joshua 24, we're going to look at how that relationship was renewed. Joshua 24, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this real quickly. Then Joshua assembled all the the tribes of Israel at Shechem. Look at your neighbor and say, Shechem. All right? If you're from Nebraska, there's a propensity in you to say, Shechem. But we're not talking about the Nebraska Cornhuskers. We're talking about the Bible today. So look at your neighbor one more time and say, Shechem. All right, some of you are going to go home and have fun with that word. All right, you'll be calling me, going, I just said Shechem to my child. All right. Joshua 24, then Joshua assembled all at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Now, I want you to get the picture. Genesis 12, the relationship began. In Joshua chapter 1, he leads them into the promised land, and for 23 and a half chapters, all we hear about is all the victories and all the defeats and all the trials and all the the tough times, kind of like the song we just sang a few moments ago. There's a point where you say goodbye to the broken because you're going to rise again, and they went through 23 and a half chapters of battles and failures and victories. And Joshua is standing here, and it's his last opportunity to address the people of God before he dies. And in this moment, he says, God has spoken to me, and this is what God says. And you saw the verses. We read them earlier. The first 13 verses speaks of what God had done for his people. First of all, he says, I chose you. I chose you. Verses 1 through 4, it says that God chose Abraham, and through Christ, God has chosen us. You see, if you're here in this room today, and you're a Christ follower, the same promise that that, that fit Abraham fits you today. God chose you. You're not here because somebody just brought you to man day. You're here because God chose you, and he wants you to be here, and he chose your life. Number two, he tells us, I delivered you. Verses 5 through 7, it says that they had, uh, were stuck in Egypt and they couldn't get out of slavery. And, and God brought them out of slavery and brought victory to them in crossing over to the promised land. Made me think about this week. Uh, God has a way of bringing us out of our Egypts in life. You ever thought about that? God said, I delivered you. Number, two, number, number three, I guided you. I guided you. Verses 8 through 10. He says, hey, you were living in this land of the Amorites And you were going through some wandering here, and you didn't know what all was going to happen. But it was me that got you through all those different lands with all those different people. And here's what God was trying to say to us. I am completely sovereign, and I'm completely providential. God is sovereignly providential in your life and my life. What does that mean? That's two big words, okay? If that's like two 50-cent words, that makes a buck right there in that moment, okay? So you bring those two words together, and it means that God is completely in charge and all-knowing of all things. He is completely sovereign, and he is ordering and allowing all things to happen in their lives. He is both sovereign and providential. And in that moment, he's trying to say to them, hey, guys, I guided you. I got you to this place. Number four, I love this. I've given you a land to possess. Not only have I guided you and delivered you and, and chose you, but I brought you to this place so that you can possess the land that I'm about to give you. Now, I love this point in Scripture because in verse 13, he makes a very profound statement to those people. Look at verse 13. He says, So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, 
and live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Here's what he said. You didn't plant any of this. The place that I've brought you to in your life in chapter 24, God did all this before you ever got here, but now you're standing here and the Lord said, I've brought you here because I want you to possess this land. I want you to possess this land. Why? Because God had a special relationship with his people. You see, there's something special about the place where a relationship begins. Have you ever thought about that? Like for me, I want to tell you one for me personally. Uh, I was 19 years of age and my wife was 21 years of age. By the way, I, wear, I married an older woman. Uh, she's not so much a cougar. She's more like a puma, okay? And um, I love her to death. And, and the thing that, that I love is, is when we started falling in love with each other, in college, you either do one of two things. So students, listen up. You either get really stupid about your life or you get too serious about your life. It's hard to really measure between the two, right? Some of you parents are shaking your head. Yeah, that's right. That was me. Some of y'all got really stupid. Some of y'all got really serious. But uh, I, I kind of got a little too serious my freshman year of college. And what I mean is everything in my life just had to have this, you know, this order of perfection. I know that shocks some of you. And uh, as I'm putting my life together and, and I'm starting to fall in love with Tracy, the word we used, the code word that we used to say to each other is, I appreciate you. That, that means I want to say the L word, but I can't say the L word to you yet. And so what did we do? We were on a retreat at the Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, Oklahoma, with about five, 600 teenagers. And one night we snuck away from all the teenagers and we went over to the rock wall where I'm sure a lot of people have had what they call DTRs. Okay, the guys in the room are going, DTR, that sounds like a GTO, okay? I'm not talking about a GTO, I'm not talking about an Oldsmobile. A DTR means they define the relationship talk. Yeah. So we're sitting here on the wall at OBU, and all of a sudden, I begin to get in this conversation with Tracy because it's the place where our relationship went from one level to the next level. And I look over at her, and I begin to say these words like, I appreciate you so much. You are such a godly woman. You are, you are the finest among the finest. You know? I mean, I'm giving the speech. I'm dropping. I'm, I'm like, hey, baby, is your name Gillette? Because you're the best a man can get, okay? I mean, I'm like, I'm getting all super spiritual, like God has told me, yes, Lord, I will marry her, okay? I mean, all this stuff. And then I say the word that forever changed our relationship because we had been hanging out and spending time together, but I looked across from her and I said these words, I love you. And it forever changed my relationship. This is one of those moments in the life of Joshua and the people of God. In Genesis 12, God had said, you're my people. I want you to possess a land. All this stuff had happened. God had done all this for them. The Lord wanted Joshua to remind them. And here we stand in Joshua 24, beginning with verse 14. And God wants us to understand Shechem is important for four reasons. Number one, it's a place of decision. It's a place of decision. Have you ever noticed that um, we struggle making decisions in life? I mean, we want all the choices, but we don't always want to make a decision. Have you thought about that? I mean, we want the buffet, right? I want 12 different versions of my life to be ask of me, but I really struggle to make one decision sometimes. That's how we live our lives. In fact, we live in a culture that has a hard time making decisions. We all want the choices, but we struggle to say, hey, this is it. 
But here's what I've learned. Decisions are unavoidable in life. And to choose not to decide is a decision in and of itself. And so many times we look at decisions and and we want to run away, but we shouldn't. Because here in the Bible, Joshua says to them 15 times the word serve. Who are you going to serve? Serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve? Serve the Lord. Look at verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the the gods of your ancestors that they worshiped before the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. There's that word. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. You see, there is never a neutral in following God. There just isn't. There's a lot of people that say, well, I'm not really for God, but I'm not really against God. There's no such thing here. Here in Joshua 24, he looked at the people after God had done all this stuff. And he said, you've got to make a decision. Let me tell you why Shechem was so special to God. Because it was a place of decision. It was the place where he told Joshua, Joshua, I want you to bring my people to a place of decision. And here's the decision. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But let's read on. Whether the gods and your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But look what he says. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love this moment. I want to digress for just a second. So catch this picture. He's telling them God's done all this stuff. You're at a place of decision. Shechem is important because of a decision. And then Joshua does the thing that I think every man in this room should do for his family. He went first. He said, I don't know what you guys are going to land. I don't know your propensity to want to worship other gods and follow this and follow that because our ancestors have done that and this and this. But I want to make one thing clear to you today. This is what Joshua was saying. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Let me tell you a great principle here. Great leaders decide first. That's why we have such a cultural crisis in America right now. Because we have people in leadership positions who don't want to make decisions. And part of being a great leader is having to make hard decisions. But great leaders, you can mark it down. It's a characteristic about their life. They're willing to step out and go first. And that's exactly what Joshua did here. He said, listen, you got to choose this day who you're going to serve, and that's like between you and your family, but I want you to understand something. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Great leaders go first, all right? How many single ladies we have in the house today? Raise your hand. All right, single ladies. I saw a guy just raise his hand. That was awkward, okay? (laughs) Yeah, let me tell you something, ladies, in looking for a man, okay, because this is man day, and maybe you came to Southcrest today looking for a man because real men come to... It's a mandate at Southcrest on mandate. You're here. You're single. You don't need. You don't need a perfect man. You need a first man. You need a guy who will go first. A guy who's willing to step his foot out there and say, "Hey, I'm not. I'm not afraid to take the lead here. I'm going to step out." Did you realize that there are three times as many women who attend church in America than there are men? Three times as many. In the average church, the least likely person to attend the average church in America is a white male between age 20 and 26. You know why? 
Because as a culture, we have allowed a generation to think that, hey, I don't have to go first. Someone else will go first for me. And the truth is, most of the things that are happening in our culture that are bad are coming from that generation. It's been statistically proven. So there's this moment where as a, as a man, you have to say, God is looking for us as men to man up and go first. I believe as men, that's what God wants us to do. It's time to man up and go first, not last, not second, not fifth. Step out. So look at verse 16. The people answered, far be it from us, Lord, to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us from our entire, or on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. And we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Here's what's happened. When men, specifically leaders, step out first, you know what it does? It causes others to do it. It just does. When Joshua stepped out, the people stepped out with him. Oh, it's a great principle. Look at verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Look at verse 21. I love it when the Bible screams at us. But the people said to Joshua, by the way, anytime there's an exclamation point in the Bible, you should shout it out as you read it. I just want to say that. Listen to what they said. They said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> in other words, Joshua, are you deaf? We have made a decision. Shechem is important to God because God wants every one of us in our life to make a decision. Number two, Shechem is important because it's a place of devotion. It's a place where they said goodbye to their past and had to embrace a new reality. Verse 23, now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. That word yield means to stop and turn, stop and turn, stop and turn. The God of Israel, yield your heart to the Lord. Verse 24, and the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Three times the people said back to Joshua, no, Joshua, we will serve the Lord. Here's why Joshua was pressing so hard. Not because he was a legalist, not because he wanted to prove them that they were going to be unfaithful. Here's why Joshua did this. Because you and I, just like these people, have a propensity to move away from worshiping God and start worshiping other things. I mean, we are good at worshiping. Some of you in this room are incredible at worshiping. Here's how I know. I've seen you at a college football game. That's right. That's right. Where I went to college at Arkansas, they actually raised their hands like this and call a hog. Now, that's not normal. The first time I did it as a, a sophomore in college, I was like, what am I about to do? Like, are they going to come in and eat me? Or, I mean, what's going on here? Listen, some of you go, yeah, that's why I don't like them raised. But, well, you're just as bad. Some of you have been to Jordan Air Stadium out there with the Auburn Tigers, and they let that eagle out, and it starts flying around, and you go into a Pentecostal fit. Ha, 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 ha. And that thing lands. Oh. And you worship. 
You're all in. You're there. You're in the moment, right? Here's what he knew. He said, we all have this propensity that we're going to worship something, so I want you to choose the right thing to worship. Because Shechem is a place of devotion. What are you going to give your life away to that will long outlive you? It's a place of devotion. Every one of us, humanity is very uh, incurably religious. That's who we are. Number three, it's a place of renewal. It's a place of renewal. The same place where God first promised Abraham he would possess the land is the place they were standing on. Here's why it's important that you understand it's a place of renewal. God always wants to renew our relationship with him. Let me say it again. God always wants to renew our relationship with him. God always wants to renew our relationship with him. Did you hear that for the third time? Here's why that's important for us. Because some of us think God gets to the point where he rips up our card and says, she's out, he's out, they're done, that person's over. No, listen, we serve a God who's reaching out to us and saying, I want to renew my relationship with you. I want to renew my relationship with you. It's almost like God daily looks at me and says, Sean, I want to take you back to that wall and I want to tell you again how much I love you. Shechem is a place of renewal. God says, hey, I love you so much. Every day I want to renew my relationship with you. You see, sometimes in life, God has to take us back to the beginning to renew us. And that's what he was doing. He took them all the way back to the beginning of a place called Shechem. Why? To renew the relationship. Look at verse 25. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. That means a promise. He made a promise and said, this is what you're choosing to do, and this is what God's going to do. And he says, and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law. Look at the second part of verse 26. Then he took a large stone, and he set it up there under the oak tree near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to God. So here's the thought. Some of you go, why did he put up a stone? Well, you know, back in those days, they didn't have Polaroids. (laughs) Back in those days, um, they didn't have a way of helping the people be reminded. So they would often build a memorial. In fact, in the book of Joshua, there's eight other times they used a stone or stones to memorialize a marking of what God had done. And this was the ninth time. But this time he said, I'm going to put this stone in front of the place of worship. And every time you go into worship, you're going to be reminded of the fact that you have decided to worship God. To say no to all the other gods. And to worship him only. In other words, it's a signature of renewal. I mean, in our day and age, you know what we do? We'd post it on Facebook. Or we would put it on Instagram, or we'd shout it out on Twitter in 140 characters or less. And so really all Joshua was doing was creating a stonogram on his face rock. That's what this moment was, right? He said, I'm going to put this out there, and I want you to like it. Because I want it to be a constant reminder of our covenant. Man, God wants to renew our relationship. So why did he set up the stone? Number one, to create boundaries for their inheritance. Every time they looked at that stone, they knew that that was their inheritance. 
all the land that they were there to possess. Number two, to remind them to possess the promise. He had promised it in Genesis 12. He was renewing it in Joshua 24, and he said, I want to remind you to possess the promise. Because we forget, especially men, amen? We have any forgetful men in the room? I'm one of them, right? I mean, I I can know the score of a football game from three years ago, but I, I don't know where my keys are right now. It's a very crisis in my life to remind them to possess the promise. Number three, to challenge them to serve and obey only God. So that, that monument stood as a way of them saying, don't forget these three things. Don't forget it. Also, so they wouldn't go back. So here's what we know. God never breaks his covenant with us, but we can break our covenant with him. So the stone was a visual reminder of that. And here's what's crazy. It was a risky thing because Joshua knew the moment he put a stone up, a couple of things would happen. Either they would begin to worship the stone, which they were famous for doing, And by the way, we do the same thing. We begin to worship the stones that God wants us to remember instead of worshiping him. They could have worshiped the stone because they were famous for making up whatever they needed to make up and worship. I mean, you know the story of Moses, right? He went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. God gave him some tablets and he was coming down. And while he was up there, the people got impatient because they were incurably religious. And so they decided to, hey, let's put some some gold in the fire. They come out with a cow. They come out with a calf. Moses comes down and yells, holy cow. (laughs) Some of you get that later. He looks at that and says, no, don't worship that. Worship God. (laughs) So there was a real propensity for the people to even misinterpret that. They weren't to worship the moment. They weren't to worship the rock. It was to remind them to worship God. And here's the thing that I look at that. I look at that and say, wow, here's what God's saying. I just want you to make a decision to worship only me. It was a place of renewal. Number four, it was a place of possession. Look at the last verse, verse 28. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. You see, we don't understand a lot of inheritance in our generation because the economy has been as bad as it's been. Like for most of us, you know, maybe inheritance was the fact that we got someone's car or, you know, that someone paid off a a note that we had or whatever through an inheritance. It was totally different here in Scripture. Their inheritance was everything, and it was theirs to go and possess. And at this moment, at this crowning moment at Shechem, when God said, I want to renew you, I want to bring my relationship back, all this stuff, The next thing it says is Joshua dismissed the people to their own inheritance. In other words, it's now time to go possess the land. It's yours. Go get it. Go settle there. Go possess it. See, here's why we struggle with that in our day and age. Because, see, we think crossing the Jordan and entering into the promised land is a picture of dying and going to heaven. Well, one of these days, I'm going to kill over, and I'm going to go over there to Jordan land, Canaan. That's where I'm going. That's what they sing about. No. No, no, no. You're missing the point. It's a picture of dying to self and the old life and entering our spiritual inheritance. Listen, here and now. 
enjoying the fullness of God's blessing as we serve the Lord and glorify Him. It's what Hebrews 4 calls entering into the rest. Entering into His rest. You see, the land that God's called us to go possess is here and now. It's not one day when I get to Jordan. It's now. There is a spiritual inheritance, God says, I want you to go take now. And I want you to renew your relationship with me. And I want you to make a decision. And I want you to devote yourself to it. Why? Because at the end of your life, it will be the one thing you look back on and you don't regret. You see, God gave them their own land and would bless them in their land if they loved him and served him only. What a decision point. Let me tell you what the take-home point today is. God has a land for you. And he will bless you in that land if you will love and serve him only. You say, Sean, that seems like an easy decision. Oh, but it's not. Because it means you've got to look at some things in your life and you've got to look at the world and say, I can no longer live in undecisiveness about these issues. Because I'm going to worship something. And let me say this, college football is not bad. So don't go, well, I shouldn't worship college. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is don't put anything before God. Choose to worship Him only. God has a land for you, and He will bless you in that land if you will love and serve Him only. Would you bow your heads with me today? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to do something that we don't normally do, but I feel like today is the day we need to do this. I want to ask all the men, young and old, single and married, to stand in this room. Please stand. A very significant event happened in our country a week or two ago, 70 years ago. June the 6th, 1944. It was known as D-Day. During World War II, when Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. 2004, I had the opportunity of going and visiting and spending a couple days in Normandy, France. Touring the entire place and seeing where many, many people gave their lives. Men, I want you to look up on the screen. You see that rock? That rock overlooks the cliffs of Normandy, and right below it is the beach of Omaha. That rock was the very rock that steered in all the Allied forces so they could get to the beach. They looked at that rock, and it gave them direction. said, okay, as long as we follow that rock, we're going to land exactly where we need to go, and we're going to go possess the land we're supposed to possess. They built a memorial. Show the second photo, if you would, to that rock. It's known as a waypoint. But this was the memorial they put about a quarter of a mile to the left from that rock. Because they wanted everybody who walked through there to remember that when the, the men who stormed those beaches saw that rock, they had to make a decision. This boat's going to land, and I'm going to step out of the boat. So I want to show you one last picture. This was taken, this is actual photo from... June the 6th, 1944. Let me tell you what everybody in that boat did. They made a decision. 
when this boat lands, I'm coming off this boat, and we're going to storm the beach. This is why this is so important to me today on Man Day. You heard me share the statistics earlier that what's happening among men in our country, it's crazy. But here's what I know. Men have to be the first to decide, and here's why. Because it's been statistically proven that if you follow God and you personally give your life to Christ, your family is three times more likely to follow your, your lead. Did you know that if a woman does that in a home, it's very likely that the, very unlikely that the rest of the home will ever meet Christ? But it is very likely that if the man makes the decision what? First, that the whole family will be changed because of that decision. I want you to put that picture back up, guys. Here's what you are today. You're standing on the beaches of your life, and you are a battlefield commander as the man in your home. And today, there are many of you as men standing here, you've never crossed that line of faith. You've never fully given your life to Christ. But today, I want to give you that opportunity. So I want to ask you as men, would you please bow your heads? And if you're here today and you say, Sean, I've never, ever crossed that line of faith. I've never, ever given my life to Christ. I mean, my wife does this, my children do that, but I am not the leader of my home. And here's why. I've never met Jesus. I've never met the one who changes everything. And I want to tell you that today, by you going first, you could change 10, 12, 50 generations after you. Why? Because it's proven when men go first, you become the battlefield commander in your home. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never made that decision, I want to give you that opportunity. We just say, dear Jesus, thank you. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me to this place today. Today, Jesus, I know that you died for me on the cross and that you rose again on the third day. And Jesus, I, right now, as a man, place all my faith and all my trust in you. Would you come into my life, forgive my sin, and be Lord, and be Savior, and be boss of my life? I turn all of my life over to you, Jesus, and I choose this day to serve the Lord. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, what happened in this room just now could change families all over South Atlanta and all over this nation forever. Why? Because you made a decision. I want to encourage you as a husband, a father, a teenager, a college student, that you would go and that you would talk to someone and say, hey, listen, I want you to know I decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you can tell a friend at work, maybe your wife, that's the best person you could ever tell, is to look at your spouse and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Father in heaven, I thank you today that, God, your word is true. You always want to renew your relationship with us. And, Lord, for the person who's here today, Lord, who for the very first time gave their life to you, for the father, the, the, the spouse, whatever, God, I pray that you would not only bless them, give them courage to stand and to step out. Lord, we love you this day. God, thank you for allowing us to celebrate these men. But, Lord, most of all, thank you for the fact that, God, you've given us an inheritance to possess. And I pray that we would do it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.